0: Visit SuccessfulNonprofits.com forward slash newsletter to sign up today. And now, friend, let me take you to the episode you've downloaded. Welcome to the Successful Nonprofits Podcast. I'm your host, Dolph Goldenberg. Today, Kevin Chase is going to help you get ready for that executive level job you have always dreamed of. Now, if you already have that C-suite job and your organization needs to build a great strategic plan but does not have a lot of shekels in its hand to hire a consultant, I want you to go to SuccessfulNonprofits.com and check out our Strategic Planning Facilitator Cohort Group. Now, the cohort group is designed for organizations that have a volunteer leader with the ability to facilitate your planning process but who needs the tools, templates, and structure to really make the process work well. This might be the perfect low-cost online opportunity for your organization to build an incredible strategic plan that will move your org forward and that funders will love. Now, dear listeners, speaking of funders loving, I love today's guest. I'll just say it. I love Kevin Chase. I have known him for, gosh, almost 15 years and knew of his stellar reputation long before I ever met him. Kevin is a stand-up person who agreed to be one of my very first podcast guests way before this show had taken off. I'm talking over a hundred episodes ago, way back in episode 12, and I don't know exactly, but I think this next episode will probably be 118 or 119, so a long, long time ago. Last year, Kevin and I were able to work together on the executive succession at the Transgender Legal Defense and Education Fund. I was the interim ED, and he was the search consultant. Through this experience, I had a first-hand glimpse at just how talented Kevin really is, and I am so happy that he is finally able to return to the podcast today. Now, Kevin, in addition to me gushing about him, Kevin is one of the most widely known search consultants in the LGBTQ nonprofit space. Each year, he conducts countless executive searches and leadership transitions through his firm, Kevin Chase Executive Search. This means that he has talked to literally thousands of prospective nonprofit C suite candidates and potential board members over the years. And as you can imagine, Kevin has seen the good, the bad, and the downright ugly. Today, Kevin and I are going to chat about how early and mid-career professionals can position themselves to become a nonprofit CEO one day. So you can think of today's episode as a coaching session for future CEOs. Now, if you are currently a CEO, we're also going to talk about how to be a standout candidate if you're being recruited somewhere else, and how you can negotiate your signing package when you get that great job offer. So let's jump in. Hey, Kevin, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you very much. Thanks for having me back.
0: I am thrilled, too, and it, it feels like I've not seen you in a while since we worked on a, on a transition last year, and I saw you a lot more. So it feels like I've not seen you in a while.
1: That's right. But if you're in the I Love Kevin Chase Club, that is a very <laughs> exclusive club. It's basically my sister, my dog, and then
0: like my partner
1: is a, like a half-time
0: member. All right. Well, so I'm probably then... I'm a full-time <laughs> member, so I beat your partner out on that. Yay! So... Kevin, here's the scenario. Gail Goodhart just graduated from college. Why don't we say she's got a degree in public relations from your alma mater, Brigham Young? And Gail knows that she wants to save the world, and not in a small way. She wants to go big. So what can she do to position herself to be an executive director at a mid-sized organization at some point in her 30s or 40s?
1: So... It's a great question and believe it or not I get asked a version of that a lot when I um, when I'm talking to folks. And like one thing to remember particularly when we're talking about an executive director position is an executive director in a nonprofit organization there's almost nothing that can really prepare you for that job because unless you've been in that chair with that suite of responsibilities there's no way you can develop all the skill sets that are necessary right to do this in today's world. So I would say, first of all, to really understand what those buckets of skill sets are. And they tend to be things like fundraising, I would put right at the top of the list. Even if you don't envision a full-time career in fundraising, any executive director spends probably 50% of her, his, or their time um, doing fundraising-related activities. So I would say that's really important. Strategic thinking and strategic planning is also incredibly important. Management, obviously, people, financial acumen and financial skills are also um, a really important skill set and not an incidental one. You have to sort of be intentional about developing that. Marketing and communications, uh, public speaking and presentation. So these are a few of the, I think, buckets of skills that are really required of anyone who's going to be an executive director, and if you know that's the path you want for yourself beginning a career, you can, again, be really thoughtful, really intentional about how you try to develop those skills throughout your career as opposed to beginning to think about them right when you're two steps away from the from the CEO office, which happens sometimes.
0: First of all, I've got to take a step back. That's a lot of things. It's kind of like looking for the person um, for the reality TV show that can sing, dance, Bake and win Jeopardy all at the same time. <laughs> uh,
1: welcome to my life every day. <laughs> people talk about. People say it's like finding a needle in a haystack. I'm like that would be easy. It's actually finding a needle, a very specific needle on a stack full of
0: needles. Yeah, and, and I also get that that most nonprofit boards, that's probably what they're coming to you with as well. They're like, okay, you know, we want an executive director who you know has great financial acumen and has been an amazing fundraiser. Oh, and understands programs, and you know, they just give you this laundry list, don't they?
1: Yeah. And I give them the lecture on unicorn hunting, which is a waste of time because there's no such thing as a unicorn, which as a queer person makes me very sad to say, but there really is no actual unicorn. So we find you the best white horse we can find and then we'll strap a horn on it if we need to.
0: So yeah, so that's kind of what I think I hear you saying is also for candidates or young and early career professionals to kind of accept that they're not going to be able to turn themselves into the unicorn.
1: Um, No, but what you can do is develop expertise in as many of those areas as you can, and then have the self-awareness, the professional maturity to know where the gaps are, and then be really, really smart about how you build a team around you to fill in the gaps where maybe you're not as strong. There's ways also to be strategic about how you do that, which we can talk about at some point if you want.
0: Let's absolutely unpack that. So one of the things that we specialize in
1: doing is working with organizations that are let's say 10 million dollars or less. Right, these are community-based organizations, they're really mission driven and they have really limited non-programmatic budgets. So what we run up against often when we talk to people is they're like, "Oh, we can't afford to hire a full-time marketing person." So we're not really doing marketing. Well, you know understanding that you need marketing is a good first step but you also you know for a ceo or or even a a deputy director like there are people out there who care about your mission there are people out there who want to be involved um, and want to do it on a volunteer level so this this sort of space we get to we're like oh we can't afford to hire someone to do that i guess we put that on the back burner um you know get a board member who's a brilliant marketing person, get a, you know, staff or start a marketing committee of your board and staff it with volunteers who can, you know, fill in that, fill in those gaps. So even when you're up against budget, it just means you have to be sort of creative and engaging about who you bring into the organization um, as a volunteer, because there's more than one way to sort of get around that. For example, I was a I sat on a board and, in fact, had the privilege of chairing it for a couple of years that I thought was an incredibly good board. Like I learned how to be a board member by working with those people. They were amazing. And we couldn't we just could not afford at one point to have a full time marketing person. So we invited someone from a local PR and marketing consulting firm to be on our board we targeted that person specifically because we knew they cared um, about what we were doing. And then we got all kind of bro- pro bono assistance from the, from the PR and marketing firm. The board member was able to bring a couple of managers who he knew shared the um, same kind of passion he did as volunteers. And we got brilliant world-class um, marketing support, uh, and it cost us almost zero dollars.
0: So I think part of what you're saying is that people that are looking to become CEOs also need to be willing to think creatively when they're taking on a position and say, okay, the organization does not have, you know, an extra 20 million dollars lying around and here's how we're going to meet our needs.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. And I mean, we use marketing as an example, but the fact of the matter is because every non-programmatic dollar our clients spend is rightly scrutinized. Um, So it really is an exercise. Again, this is sort of being smart, being strategic, having good, you know, relationship and coalition building skills so that you can bring people into the organization who have things to give besides money and time, right? There are really specific skills um, that are great to um, have in volunteer and board positions that don't add to your sort of fixed costs.
0: I, I know one of the things that you and I have also talked about is there are some ways in which it is probably easier to be the chief executive of a $25 million organization than it is of a $2.5 million organization for that very resource reason.
1: For sure. It just requires really a different lens to see organizational development through. The reality is, in organizations like the ones that we we're talking about, you're also, you're always living in a resource constrained environment in terms of. What you can spend. Um, so the whole idea of thinking bigger about how can we get resources into the organization without having to pay salary or add again to the fixed costs um, is a strategic way of looking at the world. And people I think people who are again good at the external relations, at coalition building, at working um, with allied organizations get good at thinking, outside the confines of their org chart or even their org and current board structure about how to get resources in the door to move things along.
0: Okay, so so an early career professionals, you know, been out of college for five, six, seven years and they've developed some expertise in some of the areas that you've talked about and, you know, a few more years down the road, they're starting to think that maybe they want to they wanna raise their profile so they'll be noticed by search consultants, even Really great, phenomenal search consultants like uh, this guy named Kevin Chase. <laughs> so, my question is: How does a mid-career professional raise their profile in such a way that they do get noticed by those people that are that are actively looking for chief executives?
1: Um, yeah. So, let, let's let's back up just a half a step um, into that. When I was in um, when I was still in in college, my sort of mentor and chap and champion who was the head of the program I was in said to me you know there's the 80 20 rule it gets a little tired it's a little basic so we're not going to go with 80 20 because it's overused we'll go with 85 15 because it feels newfangled but he said everyone should spend 85 percent of your time doing the job you have with all the sort of passion and energy you can. And you should spend 15% of your time looking, thinking, acting on what's next. Doesn't Mm -hmm. matter how happy you are in your current job. It doesn't matter how much you have on your place. Set aside 15% of your time to be thinking about planning for doing what's next. Um, And if you if you do that, if one does that, again, really thoughtful, really intentionally throughout your career, it's like you're doing the preparation as you go along so that it, it is easier to move um, up a level. I would also say um, the reality is, and I say this as a recruiter who recruits people for a living and gets you know paid a fee to do it, that you are five times as likely to get a job through your own networking with people you know as you are through a recruiter or through answering a job posting. That's just the reality is that it is five times as likely. So in that 15% of your time that you are, and this is for early career professionals, this is mid career professionals, this is CEOs in that 15% of, of, of time. Um, I would suggest a few things that really will a prepare you and be, I think build a runway for career expansion and career growth. So one of those things is to, to, own your own, prof- your own personal and professional development. There are just not that many organizations who are making the kinds of investments in people um, that it feels like there used to be. And in particular, in nonprofit organizations, because the resource structure is so lean, even with the best intentions, they're not always great at doing that. So invest in your own personal development, I think, should be at the top of anyone's list. And that means things like making sure you have a mentor, right? An internal mentor, a champion in the organization where you are, who can sort of help you navigate that, um, and if and an external mentor as well, someone who can really help you think about this, who can expand your access, your network, who can coach and help, and really invest time in working with that with that mentor. You know, when we even at the CEO level, when we recruit a new, a new CEO or a new executive director, one of our transition planning points is to assign the new ed a board champion so someone who's on the board of directors who knows the organization who knows the you know the politics who knows the situation to really be uh, a one-on-one sort of confidant and we also recommend that the organization invest and hire uh, an external coach it's really important as a CEO because you don't have peers, right? The, the the triangle of the organization means that when you're the CEO, you don't have any peers on your level. You don't have any a natural cohort of people to interact with like you do when you're a manager or director. So you have to look externally for that, but it's really, really, really important um, to do for everyone. I also think that, there are professional organizations professional development organizations that you should that you should take advantage of like just off the top of my head right if you're in development or fundraising there's afp the association of fundraising professionals they do seminars they do classes there are actual certifications that you can get that's a little bigger investment than what we're talking about in 15% of your time but if you're in you know if you're in human resources there's shrm there are, there are professional associations where you can go to develop skills and to get experience that is outside the scope of the job that you currently have. And the last thing I would say in terms of owning your professional professional development is is be a volunteer or a board member. You know, so let's say, you know, that in order to be a successful nonprofit CEO, you're going to have to like figure out how to raise money. Um, but you're a policy and advocacy person, and there's a fundraising team, and it's not you. Join a board, but when you join that board, don't get on their policy and advocacy committee. Like, that's the natural thing. Join a committee that's outside the field of expertise, right? That, that's, your, that's your day job. And it's an investment of time, but the reality is there's the, it, you really have to work at developing a suite of skills if you are moving to the next level. That might not be available to you doing the work that you're in. So again, just that that's right, mentoring is really important, internal and external, professional development, which you may not get from your organization. So you have to seek it outside, and then find ways to be engaged as a volunteer or a board member that gives you, lets you get your hands in some other things that you're
0: doing. So let's jump back to mentoring for a second and we'll kind of work our way through it. So how does someone go about finding a mentor and the reason I asked this question is I was presenting somewhere once and a complete stranger like literally walked up to me and they were like oh my gosh will you be my mentor and I had to like sort of you know do that cartoon slowly back away <laughs>
1: <laughs> back so, the yeah they don't notice
0: yeah there's clearly a right and wrong way to do it so what's the right way to identify someone as a prospective mentor and then have them actually end up as your mentor
1: I mean it is a little strange i guess to ask a total stranger but i mean i've seen it happen you know where somebody presents at a conference and you know and and a a younger person new in their career is excited and so i mean i would I, i would recommend that that question not be will you you know will you be my mentor but hey i'm really seeking out professional mentorship do you have time for a call or a cup of coffee? I'd love to talk with you about it. And the other thing is, like, be clear about what you be about what you want and what you need, right? And this is true in a mentor conversation, and also I have lots of, like, I can have a full time job, honestly, of going to coffee or tea with people, um, so they could say, you know, we have the "what What do I want to be when I grow up?" conversation. I don't mind doing those conversations. I don't think anyone does, but when someone just sort of says you know, I'm I'm trying to figure out what to do next. That's not as helpful as a conversation as, hey, I'm thinking about A, B, C, and D. Can you help me like make a plan to get there? Or do you have any advice about how to make that happen? it's, It's much easier to be a mentor, to give professional advice, to do like sort of helpful thinking about career planning. If the person asking has done some homework to think about, really what they want what they need what they're trying to be and so i would say i would say first of all like aim a little closer to home like if you're if you're engaged in your professional work um and this is true for people all up and down i think the seniority scale if you're engaged in the work like you you're you're with other people who do what you do all the time um and so pay attention um you know a mentor who's in a, a position that is exactly what you want to do in an organization that you respect or that shows up in your professional world in a way that feels inspiring to you um and then also you know pe- some people will say no
0: yeah totally true
1: some people are not good mentors some people don't have the bandwidth to do it and so the other thing is like don't take that personally don't let one know be like oh my god i'm I'm just going to go back to my office and never have a mentor again. When I think about my experience, it has always been when I'm in a situation where I have repeated exposure to someone, um, so I can really have a grounded case for why I think they can provide me with the sort of professional mentorship or the professional guidance I'm looking for. And remember, it's a two-way street. Like, you should bring something to that, too. You know, market intelligence, like, you know, sometimes I hear about things from these kind of relationships that i wouldn't hear from otherwise and it's it's really helpful
0: i think mentoring ties into that second one which is professional development and being a part of associations because you know if you're an active part of an association whether it only meets once a year or like your local afp chapter that meets monthly you're going to kind of run into the same people every time you go and you're going to start to say oh yeah this is someone i want to spend more time with because i want them to rub off on me
1: yeah. There's some people who are really committed to mentoring and they do it and they sort of feel like it's a calling and they feel like usually someone did it for them and, they're, and they want to pass it on. So uh, if you hear someone talk about their mentors or their mentees, then that's a good sign that that's probably a person who's approachable.
0: It can be anyone, you know? I agree. And Kevin, thank you so much for talking with us today about the professional development necessary to get a C-suite position. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Now, we will return next week for part two of this incredible conversation with Kevin Chase. Make sure you download it next week to learn how to craft your resume and hone negotiation skills to become a top-notch candidate for the executive position you really want. Until then, listeners, you can find Kevin Chase at KevinChaseSearch.com. You can also check out the services that Kevin's team offers and see for yourself how his team breaks down their executive search process into three unique phases. Again, Kevin, thank you, and I am looking forward to sharing part two of our conversation with listeners next week. Now, if you were unable to jot down Kevin's URL because you were too busy making a list of prospective mentors, then no worries. We have got you covered. Just go to the episode show notes at SuccessfulNonprofits.com and there you can find a link to Kevin's firm and also a link to his LinkedIn page. I also want to give a quick shout out to Emily from Wisconsin. She was the first person to write a review after our episode with Tiffany Couch, and we, as promised, sent her a copy of Tiffany's book, The Thief in Your Company. Hey, Emily, thanks so much. We appreciate the review. Now, dear listeners, do you want to know a secret? Well, it's probably not that much of a secret, really, but I love hearing from listeners. So drop me a line to let me know what you like and what you don't like about this podcast. Of course, I also hope that you're going to rate and review it, on your streaming app of choice, whether that's iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or something else. And that is our show for the week. I hope you have gained some insight to help your nonprofit thrive in a competitive environment.